Amen. Lexi and Yerum, thank you so much for leading us in worship today. You guys, I'm happy to introduce to you all uh, our speaker for today here in chapel, Dr. Ken Castor. Um, by the way, Dr. Castor, Ken will be with us on Wednesday as well, so please come back um, and, and get part two, but uh, it's going to be great. And by the way, those of you who are student leaders, those of you who are student leaders in the room, uh, uh, Ken will be with us tomorrow evening for our student leader development session, which should be um, amazing, okay? So, um, so a little bit about Dr. Castor. After 30 plus years of next-gen work, Dr. Ken is balding in his hairline, uh, but still bold in his faith. Uh, he, is, he wrote that. I didn't write that. He wrote that. Um, uh, he has served in ministry in both Canada and the U.S. as a ministry professor at Crown College, as an adjunct for here at UNW in the ministry department, uh, and he is currently serving as a pastor at Wooddale Church. Ken is the Blue Letters editor of the award-winning Jesus-Centered Bible, um, which I can't recommend highly enough. Um, and in the last 10 years, he's authored over 20 discipleship resources, such as Grow Down, Imaginate, the Bible Trivia Devotional, and the soon-to-be-released Make a Difference Youth Bible. Uh, he is also has several Chuck Taylors, uh, a dog whose middle name is Doofenshmirtz. Did I say that right? All right, and an enjoyable life in Minnesota with his brilliantly witty and slightly freezing family. Would you help welcome to the stage uh, Dr. Ken Castor? Thanks, Taryn. Uh, yeah, my, middle, my dog's middle name is Doofenshmirtz because she's the cutinator. So if you guys know what I'm talking about, you'll get that. Thanks for letting me be here at Northwestern. Uh, I love this school. I am so impressed by your students. When I have been able to adjunct here, I've been so, I saw some of, some of you in here today who were in my class. Uh, you impressed me so much. Your, your caliber, your capacity, your love for Jesus. I've just been blown away. And I've got a lot of good friends who work here. And uh, any chance I have to be a part of what's happening here at University of Northwestern, I'm just grateful for. So thank you, everybody. Uh, would you give yourself a hand for making me feel so wonderful? Thank you. That's weird. Um, your theme for chapel this year has been the kingdom of God. So hopefully you've recognized that. Uh, the kingdom of God is such a wonderful thing to be focusing on and exploring week after week. Uh, Jesus tells us to pray. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's like daily we're supposed to be thinking about God's reign and, and the impact that God has ruling over our earth and over the whole universe and everything he's created. The kingdom of God should be fresh on our minds all the time. Um, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God again and again. Jesus says often the kingdom of God is near and he's referring to himself. And yet we as humans, even though we're supposed to be thinking about this all the time, we, we trick ourselves and we, we twist the kingdom of God into a kingdom of man, kingdom of humanity, and we start thinking about how we can have power, how we can have influence, the, the sort of impact we can have uh, you saw this on full display last night, didn't you? Uh, did you guys watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. Were, you, uh, were you happy with the outcome? No? Wow. Okay. I hope you're that passionate about Jesus uh, as well. Um, 
The, the Super Bowl was, was a fascinating display of the kingdom of mankind. Did you notice that? I mean, the wealthiest, the most powerful, the, the most beautiful people in the world, they were all there last night. Uh, it was very hard for a normal, everyday, common person to be there. And um, it was just too expensive. And uh, you could just see, like, every time the camera turned to somebody, it was somebody powerful. You guys probably even had, like, wagers on how many times certain people were going to be on the screen and the impact that this would have on the sales of their albums or how many awards they've won or, or how much money they have or how much influence they have or where, what city they just flew in on their private jet. I mean, it was, we were hardly watching a football game last night. We were watching the kingdom of man and we were all enraptured by it and we, we have idols and we are, we're worshiping these people and we don't even realize it. We twist the kingdom of God into some distorted power of image of ourselves. It's like the imago day that was created in us, the image of God created in us. It's like we've seized onto this imago ego, like this image of self and if we can promote it and, and uh, make others in our little kingdoms look great and feel, it makes us feel great about ourselves. This has been a common struggle for us as humans. Um, I have a, uh, in my family, we have a friend who we went to go see. He was a senator in Washington, D.C., this was way back when I was a kid. My dad was a friend of his, and we went and we visited him. Now, he was about to become the vice president of the United States. And we went to his office. I had never met him before, and I was really nervous to meet this guy. I mean, he was a powerful man already. He was about to become one of the most powerful people in the country, and I didn't know how to handle myself. Like, I just couldn't believe I was going to be meeting this powerful human. And right before we went into his office to meet him, my dad leaned over, and he said something like this to me. And I'll never forget it. He said, um, Ken, it's okay. He's, he's just a regular guy. He gets diarrhea like everybody else. Now, in some ways, he was trying to help me, but in some ways, that messed me up because I did not want to shake his hand then, and it became really awkward because I just had this image in my head, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not shaking this guy's hand. He just came out of the bathroom. The reality is all these people that were shown on the Super Bowl to be great last night, they're just normal, everyday people who have to use the bathroom like you and I. When they're 50, they have to get a colonoscopy. They've got to. Like, they better. Because otherwise, they could have issues undetected. It's not the first time in human history that we have made idols out of just normal, everyday people. People who have the same issues and the same problems that we have all the time. It's not the first time. In fact, uh, yes, I'm a man, and yes, I'm about to talk about the Roman Empire. And I'm proud of that. Back in, back in Roman days, uh, do you guys have any trash, by the way? Look at this front row gang. Do you have any trash, like pocket trash, that you just need to throw away? I, I would be glad to have it. So what do you got? All right, excellent, good. Oh, yeah, muffin wrapper. Thank you very much. This is good for now. A, a hat, his hat. You know, back in the Roman days, uh, Caesar, or a general... They would throw something called a triumphal entry. 
So they would conquer a nation. They'd go about on their little conquering sprees and they'd conquer a nation and they would come back to Rome and they would let everybody know, hey, the conquering king is about to enter the city, so get yourself ready. And so they would clean the streets of the city and they would make a big deal, start some big pomp and circumstance letting everybody know that Caesar, the conqueror, was about to enter the city. And they would prepare people and they would line up on the streets and they would get a parade route together and Caesar would let it be known, the trumpets would would blow and they'd let it be known that Caesar was about to enter into the town. It was an amazing thing, quite a spectacle. One of the first guys that did this was a guy named Pompey, and then later followed by Julius Caesar, and Augustus, and Nero, and Claudius, and all the emperors always wanted to have a triumphal entry, and each one wanted to be greater than the last. I mean, you guys, they had elephants, they had, they had wild animals from all around the Mediterranean and Africa, wherever they had been, and conquered. And they would parade all these things, these spoils of war, into the city of Rome. And it was quite a scene. You wouldn't, wouldn't believe the spectacle. And all of it was to build up what people thought about these humans. So Caesar would conquer a village, several villages, let's say, and he would come into the city following a huge train of captives. And so perhaps paraded first through the city would be some uh, captured people. So people, the men who had maybe had arms chopped off or serious wounds, and they would be pushed and paraded and prodded and jeered at and mocked as they had to carry their own instruments of death before their execution through the streets of Rome. And the people would, would mock them and spit on them. Oh, you thought you were powerful. You thought you were great. You're not anything like our kingdom. And then following them might be children that were stolen from towns and women that were captured and mistreated. And all the while, the people of Rome were salivating. Like, look at our king. Look at our kingdom. Then following the captured people might have been the normal legions of soldiers in the army. And they would walk through the streets with all of their shiny armor and all of their strength, not a blemish to be seen, unconquerable. And following the thousands of soldiers that would parade through the streets might come the spoils of war. So maybe all of the gold that's taken, all of the, the precious items all of the things that are going to make the citizens of Rome wealthier and more powerful. All the things that are going to make their lives better and more fun. All the things that give them bragging rights over everybody else. And as those things were paraded through the streets, next might come all the livestock that was taken from all of these places, the very livelihood of the towns and cities that they captured. You can just imagine the scene as this goes on, sometimes for three or four days. 
in the city of Rome. And then following that might be Caesar's royal guard. Now these guys were dressed like crazy. They, they were often on platform shoes. So these are already the best of the best. And they were on platform shoes and they were uh, taller than everybody. And they had the best armor and the best spears. And I know you're watching me try to wrap this. I'm not a professional. And they would have their javelin spears and their swords and their shields polished to get the glitter of the sun. And they would walk in front of Caesar's chariot. And anybody who dared to step out into the street, because they were his royal guard, if anybody dared to step out into the street, he, they, they might get stabbed or, or jabbed or punished by those Roman guards. And then Caesar would be on his chariot. Somehow this will work. Caesar will be on his chariot riding through the street while people are just raising up their arms in praise. This is our king. Caesar is our king. And he would be on his chariot, be a huge chariot, following tons of white horses which represented the gods of Rome. And he would be on top of the axle which is already up about this high. And Caesar, many people, poets and artists and many people aggrandized the moment and they saw Caesar standing on a platform on top of this chariot well above the heads of the people of Rome. And he, people had to elevate their eyes to see him because he was lifted up and he would parade through the streets. And there, there are some historical Uh, trends that make us think that some of these conquering triumphal entry Caesars or generals would have come into the city painted in red to depict that they're kind of like a god of war and they're a conquering hero and the blood that they wear is the blood that they caused on others. And they would go through the streets of Rome and they'd get to the Temple Mount of Jupiter and they would ascend the steps of the Temple Mount of Jupiter to the throngs of the crowd adulating them and worshiping them. That is the kingdom of man. That's what the kingdom of man looks like. And it's something we are always tempted by. It's something we're always trying to capture because we want our king to be the best king. Now, Jesus is different. If you were to talk about the kingdom of God and look at Jesus, you see something completely different. You know, if anybody could have come to earth and come into a city like this, with this pomp and circumstance and this greatness, it would have been Jesus. I mean, the Psalms describe the creator of the universe as waking up in the morning and choosing to put on a garment of light. Like, oh, what should I put on today? And he just grabs light and puts it on. Psalm 93 describes him as as having his throne firmly established. It can't be moved. Nothing is overtaking it because he is armed with strength and robed with majesty. So if anybody could have come into a city with such a 
triumphal entry is this, it would have been Jesus, the King of Kings, wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. And the government will be on his shoulders. Jesus, he could have come to us that way. And yet we see an entirely different type of triumphal entry for Jesus, don't we? Coming up this Easter season, we're gonna hear about it again. He, He enters into Jerusalem, right? On an adolescent donkey. And the, the masses of people have nothing to give him except lay palm branches down on the road. And it's almost like he didn't even ask for that. There's a, there's a difference to the entry of Jesus and what he wraps himself in when he chooses to enter. In fact, look at this, uh, Luke chapter two. The first time we see Jesus wrapped, incarnate, it says this in Luke chapter two. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed. You see the power? It's like the kingdom of man is in charge of all of this. Augustus, the Roman emperor, who had already had several triumphal entries, he had decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. This guy's in charge. And it was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so everyone returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, another king, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Jesus, when he was born, he, was, he subjugated himself to the ruling kingdom of man. He decided, I'm going to be a subject of this kingdom. And then it's crazy because in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth. Now, if I were to take my wedding ring, it's probably the thing that's most precious to me. It symbolizes kind of uh, an everlasting relationship with my wife. In March, we will have been married 30 years. Give it up for that. That's good. Yeah. Now, what's amazing about that is that my wife has lasted with me that long. She's a saint. If I were to take this wedding ring, I I would be tempted to package it in the greatest packaging possible. And Jesus is born on this planet, and it says that he was wrapped in swaddling cloth. And the literal word is diaper. God himself, the creator of the universe, the king of everything, chooses to come to us, not with power, but as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. And it's like if, if I would have been Jesus, I would have come in power. And he comes The kingdom of God comes to this earth as it is in heaven and he chooses to be wrapped in swaddling cloth. 
in humility, in the, the very like, uh, intimate uh, dependency of a child. In fact, if, if you guys are ever given the chance to see a child who's wrapped in swaddling cloth, like brand new and newborn, and somebody says, here, what do you do? I mean, why is it that Jesus was, was born as a baby? Why did the God of the universe come to us as a baby? And not as a conquering king surrounded by royal guards who will jab you if you step out in front of him. Why did God come to us as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth? Because if any of you have ever been given the chance to hold a baby, it's like you, you hold that baby and you pull them close to your heart and you make sure that you are holding that baby tight. I think Jesus came to us wrapped in swaddling cloth so that we would hold him tight, close to us. There's another time that Jesus is wrapped in John chapter 13. The night before he's betrayed, they're having Passover dinner. And it says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, He got up from the table, note this, he took off his outer garment, his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin and then began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Jesus is about to be betrayed He's about to be lifted up for all to see. And he chooses, even when he knows he is in charge of everything, he has all power to do whatever he wants, and he would be right to do it. And he gets up from the table. He takes off his outer robe, so he's just wearing what the literal word would be is a servant's towel. And he gets down on his knees and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. So he comes to us, taking on the very nature of a human, puts on a swaddling cloth as a baby. And he comes to us, taking on the very nature of a human, and he becomes a servant to serve us, taking on a servant's cloth. There's one other time that the Bible says he's wrapped in John, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 53. At 53, 23, verse 53. This is an amazing moment. And it says that uh, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph who's a member of the Jewish high council. And he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body And then he took the body down from the cross and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb. Jesus came to us, the kingdom of God, all power and authority in such a way that he would stretch out his arms, take on us, or take on him all of our sin so that we could have life not to force us to be a subject to him, but he chose to be a subject to us. 
The kingdom of God messes with our minds. It messes with our hearts. We're tempted by the kingdom of mankind because it's so exhilarating and interesting. And sometimes we don't know what to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus goes to the grave wrapped in a burial cloth. The God of the universe, the creator of the world, the king of kings goes to the grave wrapped in a burial cloth. So he's wrapped in swaddling cloth. He's wrapped in a servant's towel. And he's wrapped in burial cloth. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is wrapped in, there it is. And I could ask us maybe uh, what we're wearing, so to speak, in our life, what we're pursuing to wear, what we see ourselves wearing as we go throughout our careers, as we interact with others, the things that we want to gain, the adulation we're looking for, the glory we're looking for for our own lives. I could ask you all about that, but, but today I just want to ask you a really, really, really simple and really personal question. Which wrapping do you want? Do you want the kingdom of man, which has to take flaws and cover it up and build it up and put it on a pedestal for all to see so that we don't even notice the flaws anymore? Please don't look at my wrapping. So that we don't even notice the flaws anymore. We just see shiny glory. That's what I want. Or do you want the humble, fragile, intimate wrapping of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who gave himself up for us, who set all of his glory aside and said, I am going to rescue these people in such a way that when they see me, they are not going to be able to help but to pull me in and draw me in. Which wrapping do you want? If you were to see these next Christmas under a Christmas tree, which one would you choose? Oh, you'd be so tempted by this big box. What is it? But the precious wrapping of Jesus in the swaddling cloth, in the servant's towel, and in the burial cloth is something that you don't want to miss. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to live in your kingdom. Everyone who calls on your name will be saved. Lord, we call on your name. Save us from the trappings of the kingdoms of this world. Let them have no power over us. Let us walk a different way. A way of humility and relationship a way of serving. And Lord, a way of giving up our own pursuits of life so that we could have your life. Thank you for dying on the cross, for saving us from our sins, for conquering that in the grave and for rising again with nail scars and scars on your feet and scar on your side for all of eternity for us to see. We praise you. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray and we go about our day. Amen. Amen. Everyone, you're dismissed. <laughs>